On this week's Growler Garage, we're recapping NASCAR at Vegas with another barn burner out in the desert. Going to be talking all about the teamwork that seems to be going on more than ever and team uh, kind of diswork. Is that a word? Yeah, diswork. Uh, that they've been talking about so much. Also going to be talking about the new car and what we've learned now that we have two handling tire braces under our belt. And we'll be touching on Formula One news a little bit too with uh, Nikita Mazepin predictably being fired. Uh, we'll talk about what that means for the team and uh, what that potentially means for him, as well as what might change on that car and that driver lineup, depending on how fast it is in round one. Let's get to it. NASCAR had round three of their season out in Las Vegas yesterday, and it was another good one. It was a lot like Auto Club, um, that race out there in California. Um, but, you know, it was a little different. It's a little bit of a different track, of course. Um, a little tighter, you know, mile and a half versus two miles plays a much bigger or makes a much bigger difference in the way the track drives than uh, you might expect if you're a little bit newer to this. Um Speeds are real similar, of course, but the corners are that much tighter. So the way the cars handle was even more important out in Vegas. We saw more uh, throttle time, a little bit more. Uh, I actually th thought the, the line differential in Vegas was even more than it was in Auto Club, which is not what we're used to. Auto Club used to be kind of run all over the place. But now the, the top lane has gotten to be uh, the preferred groove. So now all of a sudden... Auto Club is uh, kind of almost a two, two and a half groove track, but with room to run five wide. Whereas Vegas, you know, you've only got room to really go three wide, but we saw a lot of it. People were on the bottom, making it work. Middle was almost seemed to be the preferred groove. And then the top was working real well as well. And it all was situation driven, which was really, really cool. Because if you were out front or you had somebody, you know, kind of right behind you, you'd be uh, probably running the top to make them have to go around you uh, on the bottom, which we saw it you know, work a couple times, but it, it was awfully difficult to get that run on the bottom. So coming off the corner, um, you know, even though you may be behind by a bumper door, you'd have such a run that they, they couldn't make the move around you. And we saw that play out at the end. Uh, but I thought that was really cool is that when you're running laps by yourself, maybe you're running the middle, and that's maybe where you're turning the fastest lap times, but if you start getting pressure put on you, you run the top, make that guy have to run the shorter line, but with, with less speed kind of built up. I think it also was starting to burn the tires up a little bit. Um, I haven't heard that really um, reported or anything, but it just kind of the look that I saw is that you could run the bottom for a few laps and then it started to, to pick up, you know, a push from overheating, I would assume, with those front tires. <clears throat> um, so that was, that was cool. I really, really enjoyed that. It was, I think, a little bit more of a technical race than Auto Club. Um, what, I, what I mean by that is that you saw drivers that really had to think and really plan their moves far in advance. And it was harder to make a move, but I thought it was good because you could still run right behind the driver in front of you. You could get runs, build up momentum, stuff we haven't seen in the last few years with, with what NASCAR's been doing. Um, and it really just, maybe the cars, the way they drive isn't the same, but the style of racing reminds me so much of the mid-90s. Uh, mid to late 90s. We, this is much closer than it was back then, but as far as how the cars drive when they're near each other, 
it seems really similar and the way that they're setting up run seems really similar um and it just really that's what i felt like i was watching other than the you know typical kind of comedy show fox broadcast the actual if you could ignore that which is a little easier said than done sometimes uh you you could see a race that if you just look at it in a narrow window of what you're seeing on your screen it it just looks so much like a race from 1997 to me uh, which is really really cool um, that's what I think most of us have been, um, you know, wanting that back. And, and I, at least so far, and fingers crossed type of thing, because these they're going to figure these cars out more and more as time goes on. So the racing may kind of get back to what we saw a little bit the last few years. But so far, it's it's doing everything we hoped it would. And, the, and it's so much fun to watch the racing right now, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see how it does at Phoenix this weekend. Uh, obviously, an even shorter track. Um, which it's going to be a totally different style race. You're not going to see as much side by side. I don't think at Phoenix, but you you know we'll we'll see. Phoenix I think has been an entertaining race the last few years. Not amazing. I wouldn't even call it necessarily great or good, but fine. Um, which is better than you could say with a lot of the races the last few years. Um, but so this year it should it should be good. I think I, I'm in, interested to see what's going to happen and obviously the, the implications of uh, what it does for the end of the year with the championship race. Um, but you know, to kind of dive into, you know, what happened in this particular Vegas race more so than just the car. Um, you know, the early, what I really liked at the beginning of the race, you were kind of feeling it out. The cars that were fast in qualifying weren't necessarily the cars fast in the race. Um, this is kind of two weeks in a row that a lot of the guys that qualified up front didn't end up being up front for much of the race, which I like. I mean, it shows the guys who are fast but don't have the whole... Um, pace of race or flow of race figured out yet um and like austin Sindrick is a perfect example of that uh, qualified well at both at auto club and at vegas and then kind of just fell off um, and, and that's what we used to see rookies do all the time and daytona is a little different you know that's a different type of race so i won't really use that as as part of this but you know we used to see it a lot um and and it's really cool that that's back is that you can have short run speed but not necessarily long run or just traffic type speed um, so that was that was cool. So the first few laps, we, we were just seeing who's fast, who's not. And we didn't, I don't think we really knew. I mean, yeah, the Hendrick cars looked good. Um, the Childress cars, again, all the Childress affiliated cars looked good, you know, with Chastain, of course. Um, and Reddick was, was in the top 10. Um, they, were, they were showing some speed all day. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the, the early part. And then in the middle, uh, you know, Chastain, showed up and just started dominating much like reddick did last week at auto club um that was ross chastain this this week um and look like honestly like you might just have it in the bag until it started becoming a little bit more of a caution fest at the end um you know and just it didn't shake out he was he was gonna have a good run regardless but it looked like third was pretty much as best as he could do because the, the at the end the gibbs cars just drove away from him like just straight up drove off um, which surprised me, but it, it was again cool to see the weather changing um, the grip, the um, the way the cars handle. So the cloud cover com- comes out, it looked like, and then all of a sudden Chastain's car probably, um, you know, m- maybe it started to just get a little bit loose on him. I'm not sure because uh, usually the cars that are a little loose when it's sunny, um, they'll pick up a little more grip when the sun comes up or even when the shade comes out. Um, and it'll usually tighten the car up a little bit. So if, if, Chastain was, you know, neutral, you know, perhaps it picked up a push. I don't know if the cars still respond that way. So um, I'd like to see 
that's, that's part of my thing with the Fox broadcast is I think they mentioned that, but they never really followed up or maybe talked to a crew chief. They used to ask crew chiefs, like, what's going on? You were fast. Now you're not. What's, what's going on? And they used to tell them, and I haven't heard that in ages. They just asked the crew chiefs, like, oh, you're going to take tires here? And sure, probably. I don't know. And that's like the end of it. Um, so I would have loved to have known more about that, about why he lost some speed. Um, but then it looked like, you know, Bush and Truex were going to fight it out. They had an amazing battle last 20 laps. Um, Truex got him once out of four, but Bush had the momentum and crossed him over. It was just such good stuff. The lead car didn't just automatically drive away. They probably had, you know, they had an advantage, but that's how it should be, um, being able to dictate your line and make the guy behind you go around. Um, so, that, I mean, that was that was really an amazing race. It looked like Bush pretty much had it in the bag coming coming to the to the end there he had a few car lengths on Truex um and it looked like Bush had just had a little more tire left um but that's what it looked like until Eric Jones knocks the wall down um just one of the bigger wrecks we've seen um destroys that car makes has no steering assumingly no brakes slides back up in the traffic a miracle more cars didn't hit him a miracle Bob Wallace didn't just drill him in the driver's door um you know, good on him and a spotter to miss that. I know people were giving him kind of grief about that, but they did a phenomenal job to not make that a huge crash because NASCAR was trying to let it stay green. I know what they were trying to do because he was on the apron and they're trying to let the finish play out, but that that one was kind of weak on NASCAR's part. Uh, I applaud them for not for for not rushing to a yellow to get a green white checkered, but that was a big enough hit that needed to be a yellow. So that should have came out a little faster. Um, that would have avoided that whole situation with the twenty three. Um, you know, nearly destroying him in the driver's door. Because um, they, you, you know, like they, you're going to say, oh, well, he should have lifted. Well, of course he should have lifted, but it's still green and there's two laps to go. Like, what do you, you're going to try to daze a thunder your way through there. It doesn't, it's not right, but it's, it's what everybody's going to do, uh, which is why throwing the yellow there had had to happen. So, you know, um, that sets up the green white checker. Everybody pits, which is just crazy to me. Uh, like, it's the right call, but it's crazy to me that we've gotten to this point where, if there's a yellow, pretty much you pit almost every time. You know, they had a lot of laps on the tires, but I mean, it's two laps to go. Um, used to be the guys at the back of the lap would just stay out because why not? So pitting at that point would almost never pay dividends. Maybe two tires would work, uh, but four tires almost never. Um, you know, so it, it's it's interesting how that's changed now. You don't see the kind of the quote-unquote hero moves from the guys at the back anymore. Um, but I think it's just because... You, you know, even if they're only three or four tenths off with those tires, it's uh, it, you're going to get just swallowed up. Um, back in the day, you used to have nine cars on the lead lap. So even if it didn't work, you would just fall back to ninth and whatever. Um, so that's, you know, that's how it is now. And then so top two take two tires. Everybody else takes four. Um, and it ends up paying off. You know, Alex Bowman was quick at the beginning, kind of fell off in the middle. He was always top five. He was top five all day, though. Um, but on the last restart, outdueled um, Kyle Larson to get the win. Um, did a great job, and, you know, holding on. With the, the two tires didn't look like much of a disadvantage. Me and some of the guys were talking during the race, um, and, and we all kind of figured at that last pit stop that two tires was the right move. Obviously, those creatures have more analytics than we have, and I'm sure they'd know something we don't or trying to be smart or whatever, but kind of proud of us. We all nailed that one. You know, the two tires were definitely the right move at the end because they, I mean, they were even driving away from the guys before um, just because of the traffic and the way it was built up. You just have to, you got to be on that front row 
on the last restart, and you got to do whatever it takes to make sure you're there to really have a chance at winning. Um, but Bowman's team played it right. You know, they they nailed it. Um, does you know? There's a lot of talk about like he backed into it and was lucky and all that. And, and he, sure, you know, he wasn't going to win until he won. You know, and it's like he he didn't just it didn't just fall into his lap. They had to do the right thing. You know, they had to make the right decision, had to be in position. You know, he had to be the first car out with two tires or one of the top two cars out with two tires. You know, so it's not as though, you know, that everybody else crashed and they just handed to him. Even if that did happen, it's still not a lucky win. I mean, they crashed and you didn't. I mean, winning, winning's winning. Pardon the Fast and Furious quote, but it's, you know, it's true. Winning's winning. Uh, everybody else had the same opportunity you did. And uh, I, so I, I get Kyle Busch's point with that. A little bit like okay yeah you're right he wasn't going to win but then he won you know everybody had the same yellow at the same time um you know and that, that's how it goes so you got to be frustrated for Kyle Busch to lose your home race when you you know I can only imagine what that feels like you're leading a cup race with two to go at your home track and yellow comes out and it gets in your eye snatched from you so you know can't give Kyle Busch much grief about that but Bowman Bowman earned it you know and um Ross Chastain, you know, finished third but got the most points on the day with the bonuses for the stages and stuff. So, you know, he did uh, he did well. Um, that team between the one this week and then the 99 last week um, at Auto Club, that track house team looks quick. Um, you know, Suarez got taken out in an earlier wreck at Vegas, so we never really saw how fast he was. It didn't look like he had race-winning speed. He was kind of hanging around the back of the top ten. He was moving forward a little bit at a time. Um, you know, and I think that was going to be a top 10 day, which is great, you know, stack up the top 10s right now. And, you know, that lets you go racing a little more at the end of the season, as far as taking risks to get in the playoffs and all that. Um, but you know, definitely, I don't, I don't think he had the pace that Chastain had, but man, if they're doing this right now, you know, there's no reason to think that those, those track house cars and those RCR affiliated cars are going to be up there every week. Um, I see no sign of that changing. We'll see at the short tracks and Phoenix will be a little bit of a preview of that, um, to see what's a little bit different, see if there's different guys up front who hasn't figured out who doesn't. Um, you know, and it'll be fun to see if teammates kind of are what it comes down to at the end again. I mean, that was the third race in a row at Vegas where the top two with a couple laps to go um, were team cars. And we, and we keep seeing it more this year that the teammates tend to be near the teammates. And I think there's something to that. I, I don't think that that's just coincidence. I, th- I think that what is with this new car... You know, everybody's kind of getting the same car, but teams are building them in a certain way. Like, yes, you're kind of just assembling it, but you do have choices here and there. And those little choices obviously add up to a big difference as far as speed. So I think what you're seeing is that the drivers are actually much more even than we maybe thought because the cars we know are very even and they're basically identical from from like the 18 car to the 11. You know, all the Joe Gibbs cars are... are virtually identical so because there's no one you know even you know you'll say okay well team cars have always been the same well yeah but they're still fabricated by different people and it, the difference isn't much as much as it used to be from car to car even last year when the cars when the teams were building their own cars from scratch you know they had them pretty well nailed down where this car is exactly the same as that car at least on paper you know it might be exactly the same down to the, the thousandth ten thousandth of an inch i don't know but there's every driver will tell you there's still variances from one car to the next, even if they're built exactly 100% the same. They're just they just different. They work different. Um, and I think now these new cars are even have narrowed that window down even a little bit more. Um, so now I think what you're seeing is that these team cars 
are just right next to each other because the cars are exactly the same, just like a Formula One car. And then the drivers are what's making the difference. So you, you take, you know, 200 cars that are exactly the same, put two different drivers in it that are extremely similar, and I'll use Bowman as Larson as examples. Um, it, it gives you these races where, you know, the drivers are, are the only thing that's really making uh, the difference as far as speed is concerned. Um, and it's not saying the pit crews and all that stuff don't get them in the position. That's not what I mean. The point is, is that last year, the crew chief, I think, had more to do with how fast the car was with the specific setup and the engineers and that kind of stuff. And I think now, you know, it's not car by car, it's team by team. And and I know they work much closer together than that, that I'm making it sound and all that stuff. But the bottom line is that I don't really necessarily have the exact way of being able to explain it, but much like in Formula One where the same two cars will finish one, two, or four, five, or six, seven, uh, very regularly because the difference in driver is less than the difference in car. I think on a micro level, we're seeing that in NASCAR now where you don't have seconds between the cars, you have hundreds of a second, but the driver might be worth, you know, two hundredths of a second. And from car to car, team to team, you might be looking at, you know, eight or nine, you know, and it's very, very small amounts. But I think I just think there's something to the teammates constantly being next to each other now and what's creating this drama and it's a little overhyped by Fox because of course it is. But more or less, um, you know, we they tell it was the Penske cars at Auto Club, it was the Hendrick cars running each other, and then this one we saw the Gibbs cars racing really hard, and then the finish was two Hendrick cars. It's all it's like they're just in pairs all the time, or at least by affiliation. Um so I think that's something to be watching as the season goes on. We'll have to see if, if, if there's if that trend continues or if it really was just coincidence, um, you know. And, and we'll find that out as time goes on, and we get more of a, a data set and more sample size and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, NASCAR's off to a roaring start, I think, and gonna just just see how it keeps going. Um, I'm excited for it. I'm excited for the next race, which I can't say I've been short of Daytona, maybe some of the plate tracks and. Last year they did the new tracks to get the excitement up, but I mean as far as a normal race, like a race at Phoenix, like I can't say I've been super excited about those recently or looking forward to them. So NASCAR's doing a good job, and um, hopefully the momentum continues to build and we get more people at the grandstands and more eyes on TV. And I know my friends who who have a passing interest in racing but not really NASCAR have been asking me a little bit about it here and there and saying, "Hey, when's the next race?" And, when can we go to a race? And just kind of, there's some interest all of a sudden, which is really cool, um, you know. So I, hopefully that's happening all over the place and not just uh, with my, you know, few friends. Um, so, you know, you know, like I said, NASCAR is doing, doing, doing a good job right now. And uh, we'll see how that see how that continues to, to go. Um, not much to talk about this week in, in IndyCar. Really kind of nothing to talk about in IndyCar. They're not racing again until Texas for another couple weeks. So we'll skip right through over to Formula One where there wasn't any on-track action, but there was a little bit of off-track drama. Um, Haas driver, or former Haas driver, uh, Nikita Mazepin lost his his seat, as we all kind of saw coming because of the ongoing um, Russian invasion on Ukraine. Um, And because Mazepin is funded by a Russian company, um, to put it one way, um, there's, there, that sponsorship is not continuing for whatever reason, whether it's inability to pay or unwant or just both sides don't want to do it. Or I, I don't know. I don't know the specifics, but it's pretty easy to figure out. 
in a general sense what's going on there. So without funding, um, driver loses a spot. That's how it works these days. Unless it's a team sponsor, which there's much less of those than you might think. That car, if it doesn't have, you know, you paying for it in one way or another, it's it's not going to the racetrack. So um, for now, Pietro Fittivalti is going to be in the car. Um, he ran a couple races when um, Grosjean was hurt couple years ago after his huge crash um so he has some race experience um he's he's maybe not the fastest dude they could put the car at this point he's still really really young um and he's going to be in the car for testing at least they haven't said whether he's going to be in the car full time this season they haven't announced anybody for that as of right now and i don't think they will for a few more days um i'm not even sure if they've officially said that fittipaldi will be in the car for um, testing, but I think it's a foregone conclusion um, for a lot of different reasons. So he'll be in the car for testing, I'm sure of it, um, whether it's official or not. Um, and then round one is, is a week later. So I think there's a really good chance he'll be in the car for week one. I don't, or round one. Uh, I don't think that they'll change drivers in between the test and the first race unless there is a dramatic issue. If he's way off the pace or something, then sure. But if he goes out and just runs fine that's all they're going to be looking for i think right off the bat but let's assume that fittipaldi is in the car for round one um which i think he will be does he continue on after that does it depend entirely on how how well he does or how how good the car is um i think i haven't seen that talked about much yet is if they go out there and the car is just slow and it's a back marker and you know it's just like it was last year and they're just out to lunch. I don't think they're going to waste their time trying to put somebody else in the seat. Um, I actually think that Fittipaldi is is in decent shape unless two specific things happen. And there is a decent chance they happen, but I think they both have to happen. I think that the car has to be at least contending for points in the sense of even if they finish 19th and 20th, if they're only a couple tenths off in qualifying of the mid-pack or if they do different strategy or, or whatever, if there's a reasonable assumption that they could contend for points and Fittipaldi is not in the neighborhood of Schumacher, if both of those things happen, I think he's not in the car for the rest of the year. Um, but I think both of those things have to happen because if the car's not a mid-pack contender, why go through the effort of changing the seat and getting a new driver and switching it up? Um, you know, and why, you know, why waste somebody's time? You know, if the car's just horrible, they're not going to call up Giovinazzi or Hulkenberg or anyone else and put them in the car. Cause, I mean, they're already paying for the Pauli and why spend the extra money at that point and just to run around the back and what driver's going to want to do that? You know, um, however, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the car's going to be at least in the neighborhood of the mid pack, you know, and who knows, um, if the car is actually genuinely good, what does that change? Like if they go to the test next weekend and they're able, they know more than we do because testing times still don't mean everything. Um, if they believe in their, in their mind that that car is genuinely good, do they rush out and get Nico Hulkenberg? Do they rush out and get Giovinazzi? For somebody that has a lot of experience and, and Giovinazzi is very uh, well regarded by Ferrari as far as a test driver and I think as a race driver as well. Um, but his, apparently his development abilities are very, very good, which is exactly what Haas needs. Um, you know, 
it, it, it's, it's also fluid. It's, it's also unsure at this point. We don't know what's going to happen, but I think it's predictable once we know what happened, where they go from there. And that sounds silly, but um, meaning if, if this happens, we know that will happen. If that happens, we know this will happen. Um, and I think that is, um, there's a, a very, there's a, there's a non-zero chance anything in the realm of it happens. There's a possibility we go out there to round one and the Haas car is just amazing. Like it's just top of the charts, it, it, untouchable. Like it, it can happen. I know it's a one in a million shot. And we already saw it, you know, 13 years ago. Um, and that was a very different situation with Braun GP in my mind. But point is, it could happen. It probably won't, but it could. If that happens, I think that their driver search is extremely it, it just takes a total 180 and plus of course the available drivers becomes much higher but what do you do at that point because Schumacher we think is good we don't really know yet we don't know how good he is so do you rely on a driver that's off of one year in a non-competitive car to go and get after a potential constructors championship Let, let's just say that the car's that good do you, do you trust that if you go out and run third with Schumacher do you go man car's good what could jensen button do in this car and maybe he's not a good example because he's been retired for two years too many years but the point is is do you do you then go and try to poach somebody from another team if this is a potential constructor world champion car in this in this universe um at that point i don't think giovanazzi or hulkenberg are, are the targets anymore i think that you start going after any number of drivers, um, n- none of them rookies, people who have race experience. Um, you know, it, it's anybody's guess. And it, again, this probably won't happen, so it doesn't really matter. But it's a fun thought experiment to think about, well, if Haas goes out and does this, what would they do? If they go out and run mid-pack, do they roll with what they have? If Fittipaldi beats Schumacher, let's say, then what? Like, <laughs> you know that throws a gigantic wrench into things because Schumacher's pretty highly regarded. Fittipaldi's kind of not yet. He he keeps the car clean, brings it home, but he hasn't won a ton in, in junior formulas. I know he's got a track championship at Hickory Motor Speedway, uh, so that makes me like him. I mean, I'm rooting for this guy to do really really well, but the evidence at this point points to he is a notch below Schumacher. Um, but we will see. Um, it's. It's it's an interesting thing, and, and this is one of the situations where the driver of that second car will probably be the most predictable and least. Um, it's not going to be exciting, I'll put it that way, I don't, I don't think. Um, to me, it's Fittipaldi, round one, and in preseason testing. And if he does well, relative to Schumacher, he gets the seat for at least the next few races. I think he'll be on a short leash to a certain extent. If he goes out and is just way off, I think Giovinazzi is in the car for the rest of the season. Um, and I know he has other things on the table. And from what I understand, he can get out of all those contracts um, if a Formula One ride becomes available. I believe that that was written into his and almost every other um, driver's uh, contracts. So, you know, that to me is the most likely thing to happen. Um, but certainly... There are alternatives, and uh, it depends on depends on some other stuff. So um, we'll see, and we're going to find out here shortly. You know, 
a little bit about these cars as, as far as what teams are good. We talked about it after the, the not test test a couple weeks ago. Um, but we still don't know and we still won't know after even this one. Um, they're not going to be going all out, but we'll have a good idea. Ha- they've had a chance to run the cars once already, um, you know, so they'll have a chance to have worked on them a little and then go out here to Bahrain um, and we'll see who's managed to develop the car a little bit and then they'll have a little bit of, of a chance between testing and round one to develop even a little bit more of it. Um, so uh, we'll learn a little something. We're not going to still know yet, but we'll learn a little something. Um, and that's going to be fun. So, yeah, then after that, we're full bore into the Formula 1 season. Got that March 20th weekend schedule or circle on my calendar. That's going to be a really good one because um, Formula 1 round one at Bahrain is that weekend. Um, and then IndyCar is at Texas that weekend. Um, and I know there is a NASCAR race. I'm checking to see where it even is on March 20th. Um, I think it might be Atlanta. Um that's going to be fun. Yeah, that one's at Atlanta. So that's going to be the new Atlanta repaved um, super speedway type thing. Um, so that'll be... Um, I'm interested to see what that's going to race like. I don't I don't know. That's going to be really weird. More banking's been added to the track. It's narrower um, and new pavement. So it might really be a spectacle or it might be a single... I'm expecting a single final procession. I think that's going to be the first snoozer um, of the year. Uh, but we'll see. I'm wrong a lot, so... You know, I could be in this case. So um, that'll do it for this week. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with uh, NASCAR at Phoenix. Uh, We'll have a little bit talk about with Formula One preseason testing. We'll do a full preview of the Formula One 2022 season. Going driver by driver, team by team, who to watch, who uh, has a chance to potentially jump up the grid this year, who might be in risk of falling back. And we'll see how much I can get wrong on that. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We will see you right here next week.